Good morning, everyone. It is great to be with you all again this morning. Uh, as always, thank you for your very, very warm welcome. Uh, it is very nice to be back. And as always, we enjoy our time here. We are refreshed and encouraged by being here and by meeting with you all. It, it's hard to believe it's a year since we've been in Kenya. A year ago, I was already there, and uh, just short of a week ago, Rachel and the boys were on their way to Kenya as well. And the year has, has really flown in. Uh, you know, the boys have settled well into school. After being online for so long, they've enjoyed being back in the classroom. They were able to make friends quickly. They've really enjoyed being able to play team sports and, and have appreciated being in school. And, uh, you know, this last year for Rachel has been different, uh, but she's so glad that she has a, a job in September to go back to and is looking forward to be back in the classroom. But it was so good to have her around home more this year for us settling into a new country. It was very much appreciated. Um, and, and we are settling into church as well. It certainly looks different than Castlereagh Fellowship. Um, our, our pastor uh, there often jokes that, of course, there's Africans in heaven because who else is going to teach us how to dance? <laughs> but, he, but he assures us that we'll also be there because we need somebody to tell them to start on time. <laughs> so I think we're okay. Uh, um, uh, settling into my new role has taken time as well. Uh, I'm with the same organization, Cure, that I was before, but it's a new role and working across eight hospitals, but based in Nairobi has been a lot to get my head around. Uh, and, and, you know, I've been managing lots of projects across our eight different hospitals. And travel in, in Africa hasn't been hugely easy this year. Travel around Africa is never easy, but when you add a lot of COVID protocols and also changing immigration rules, it's, it's a lot to get your head around. Um, but things have, things, have, things have been going well. I've been able to add three new staff members to my, my team uh, in the last month which has been a huge help. That doubles the size of our, our team. And we're managing, at the minute, over 30 different construction projects around the eight hospitals, including uh, two of the hospitals that are being completely rebuilt while we're still operating surgeries and doing hospitals. It's, it's complex projects to be managed. And so I'm sure you can all imagine some of the, the headaches that we, we face, you know, from uh, electrical systems to wastewater systems to trying to bring our hospitals and the operating theatres up to the international standards um, that we aspire to while still treating children. Uh, so so there's, there's lots to keep me busy. But I am really blessed to be part of an organisation that looks to provide both physical healing and spiritual input into so many children's lives, both in Africa and Asia. And so, so thank you for remembering us in prayer. Thank you for keeping in touch. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for, for being with us and being our spiritual family. It really is a genuine encouragement and support to us. And it really does mean a lot. Let me leave you with one, one prayer request. That's for Kenya itself. So on Tuesday this week, uh, it's Kenya's general elections. Uh, people are very, very nervous there. The last three elections have all finished with post-election violence. Uh, this election is very, very tight. Um, and, and so people are very nervous that whoever the loser is then says it's, it's all unfair and starts the violence. So 
Uh, people are, are nervous. If you just pray for peace this week in Kenya, that would be very appreciated. Uh, so let's uh, turn to God's Word then this morning for our instruction, our, our encouragement, our challenge. Um, let me turn to a very familiar passage for all of us, Hebrews chapter 11. It's a famous uh, chapter, uh, sometimes entitled Heroes of Faith. And I just want to pick out a few thoughts as we, as we talk through this passage this morning. So I'm going to start uh, reading in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And let me pause there for a second. So here's our, our opening definition of, of faith. It's assurance, or the conviction, the settled determination, the confidence, the reality of, the certainty of things hoped for. That is, of things to come, of things unseen, of the future, of God's promises yet to be fulfilled. Uh, the, the message version puts it this way, it's our handle and what we can't see. So faith, by this definition, is a, is a God-filled perspective and a future so real that it affects our present day. It affects the decisions we make now, the decisions we make in the here and now, how we live our lives, and it affects how we see the world. And the rest of this chapter as we go through, fleshes out this definition by giving us examples of what this looks like. Uh, you know, real-life examples of what a faith-filled life looks like. So I want to look at a few of them with us this morning. So jump in the passage down to verse 7 for me. Verse 7 says, By faith Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. So Noah was commended for responding to God's warning about future events, even though the events to come were as yet unseen. Noah trusted God's word more than his circumstances. If you like, he trusted God's word more than the weather forecast. This, this was not a, a one-off decision as well. This was a long-term, settled decision which had implications for his whole life. It took a long, long time to build that ark. And it took a lot of resources to build that ark with many, many opportunities along the way for discouragement, for weariness, for opposition, for distraction during that time. I mean, what about the competing priorities? I bet Noah's family would have liked them to use all of that time and all of that wood to build him a nice, beautiful house rather than an ark. Um, but Noah had set his mind to follow God and follow God's word first, to trust God, and was prepared to look foolish to the rest of the world to do so. Colossians, likewise, reminds us and instructs us as believers to set our minds on things above, not on worldly things. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that, that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also shall appear with him in glory. It is so easy for us to get distracted, to get weary, to have our eyes on earthly things and not on heavenly things. I'm very sure that Noah could have got busy with many things and taken his eyes off his most important task, off his most important project. He could have got distracted or sidetracked by many valid and important concerns in the many years that he was building the ark. However, Noah made a long-term decision to put God's word first, to follow God's priorities and God's commands, and he didn't allow himself to be distracted or or sidetracked. The the idea of of distraction is is interesting to me. One One of the most challenging quotes I heard recently was this, religion is what you do with your solitude. Now, maybe in today's world, we have very little solitude anymore. Every, every spare moment is filled by picking up a phone, looking at a computer, turning on a TV. And if for some reason we can't get our eyes onto a screen, we put something in our ears and listen to something instead. I'm amazed actually coming back here, how many people are even in the shops with earphones in as they walk around, you know, listening to music or podcasts or whatever, but we're constantly filling our minds with information, constantly distracting ourselves. Uh, But if for some reason we're cut off for those things, if, you know, our phone battery dies, if we're in a place where we have no signal, Where does our mind wander to? Uh, If we do find a moment of solitude, what are our daydreams? Where does your mind habitually turn to? Where does it find joy in? Uh, Where and who does it delight in? What does it go to to ponder on? Uh, You know, is it next year's holiday plans or the property ladder or your job? Or do we lift our eyes to things above? Do we set our minds on Christ? Do we ponder our eternal future? Think about our salvation as we've been doing this morning together. The example of Noah that we just read reminds us we need to lift our eyes in faith, uh, looking to God first in reverent fear and obedience and avoid the distractions that this world would throw at us. Let, let me go back to Hebrews 11, and let's pick up another example in the same, the same theme. Verse 8, this is Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So Abraham is is commended for following God without knowing the final destination. He's willing to live as a foreigner, a traveler in a tent, because he was looking forward to an eternal home and an eternal city. Again, like Noah, his dependence was on God for his future. And that dependence affected his present decisions. 
he was able to take the, the present insecurity of his situation because his ultimate future was secure with God. And so he was able to give up his present security and live in a tent as a foreigner. Verse, verse 15 makes the point about, about Abraham again. Verse 15, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Abraham was looking to the unseen eternal home to come, waiting for God's eternal future. Hey, you know, we see the same, the same metaphor elsewhere in the New Testament. Philippians chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Like, like Abraham, we are called, our life here is to be one that is lived in a foreign country, a place that isn't our home. Our home is elsewhere. Like Abraham, we are called to be travelers living in tents, looking forward to God's promises. You know, that is one thing I know a little bit about, living in a foreign country. We've, we've lived in, in several foreign countries. And, and whether it's Sri Lanka or the Philippines or Kenya, I stand out. Now, not, not just because of my skin color or, you know, but we, we talk differently. We have different values, different priorities. And so we stand out. And as, as Christians, a life of, of faith and trust in God will make us stand out from those around us. That, that's, what, that's what this is saying. And another, another thing of moving to a new country is when we move to a new country, we're only allowed entry because we have a special work visa that allows us to go. Uh, we, we can only stay in that country uh, because it's not our home, because we have a specific purpose to be there. Uh, and when that purpose finishes, we go home. That, that's, that's the rules of the visa. And as Christians, we have a specific purpose for being here. We are called to be God's ambassadors, proclaiming his kingdom. That's the reason that we are here in this place. And we also know what it's like to look forward to going home, um, to, to, to look forward to seeing family again, to look forward to seeing friends again uh, in person. You know, we're, we're separated from family for a long time. and. And even technology, however great it is, video calls and phone calls don't substitute for seeing somebody in person, face to face. Uh, we've thought about that a little bit already this morning at the, at the breaking of bread, what it is to see our Savior face to face, what a homecoming that will be, what joy awaits us in that time. You see, he heaven for the, for the Christian is not, not about the gifts however wonderful they are or may be, but it's about seeing and knowing someone, knowing our Savior, seeing him face to face. It's about, it's about finally being home because the reality is that we are strangers in this world. Uh, and like Abraham, this is not our home. We are on our way to our promised land, on our way to our rest. There is something more. Uh, I think it's, it's C.S. Lewis who talks about a holy dissatisfaction 
a longing for something beyond the horizon. And so again, we're called to, to lift our eyes beyond our present circumstances and trust in God's promises, looking for our eternal home in the future. My, my, my third example in Hebrews 11 is Moses. Let me, let me go to verse 24 in the passage and pick up with an example of Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So Moses chose reproach, mistreatment, suffering and disgrace in the present because he was looking to the future. And the future reward outweighed the present difficulties. Moses chose short-term suffering and rejected the fleeting pleasures of sin. And he, he was able to reject those, those temptations because if you want to put it in, in boxing terminology, his eyes were on the prize. His eyes were on the future reward. Uh, and when we, when we think about temptation, temptation to sin, it, it is in, temptation is in essence holding out something as more precious, more valuable, uh, more pleasurable at that time than God's reward for us in Christ. And, and in, the, in the moment that we give in to temptation, we, we are, if you like, concurring that this temptation, this thing, is more pleasurable to us than Christ. I, but when we, when we stand against temptation, we're acknowledging, we are affirming that even if we face short-term hardship and suffering, we have faith that God will fulfill His promises. We have, faith, we have faith that that is more valuable to us than anything that the temptation can offer, than anything the world can offer, and that trusting Christ is better by far. Obedience to Christ is worth more than anything the world can offer. Moses chose heavenly treasure rather than earthly treasure. He chose the unseen over the seen. It's an example of, of what we see in Matthew chapter 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me pause and, and dwell on, on Moses and, and the Israelites for a minute as, a, as an example for us. The, the Israelites were living in slavery. Uh, but God sent a savior for them and they were set free from Egypt. And they are freed from Egypt and they start a journey on, towards the promised land. Now that that imagery should be familiar to us because it's a, a picture for our benefit and education. It's a, it's a prefiguring of, of our salvation from sin. You know, we have been saved from sin. 
God sent a savior for us and we are on our way to our promised land. And the, the Israelites, as they journeyed from Egypt to the promised land, they often forgot. You know, they forgot many things. They forgot the extent of their slavery and they remembered Egypt far too fondly. They, they forgot the promises that God had given about the land to come and, and complained often about their current hardships. And they forgot that, that God, they forgot the God who had saved them, who'd brought them out of Egypt, and instead they made their own gods, gods that seemed closer to them, more real, more manageable than the true God. Uh, and on their way to the promised land, God disciplines the people of Israel. He refines them. He turns again and again their wayward focus back on himself and reminded them that they're utterly dependent on him for everything. And, you know, we have the same experience. We, we are former slaves to sin, freed, and on our way to a wonderful inheritance. And we also are forgetful wanderers. You know, we are on a journey to our promised rest, an eternal home, guided and led by God. But sometimes we're complaining. Sometimes we're rejoicing. Often we feel like we're going in circles. Often we don't realize that we are being kept, fed, led, all by God's grace. And we often forget and need reminding to lift our eyes to the promised land. Like, like Moses, we need reminding that the reproach of Christ is greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. Uh -uh. And Moses, as he led the Israelites, reminded them often of the promised land. You know, why they were here in the desert, where they were going, who was with them, who was in control. Again and again, lifting their eyes from the desert to the paradise to come, from the seen to the unseen. You know, if you were an Israelite in the middle of the Sinai desert and all you can see is sand dunes and rocks and hot baking sun. And again and again, they are asked to trust God for the unseen, for the, for the milk and honey to come, for the grapes, the pomegranates, the green plants, the fresh water, the cool shade of the trees. And so if, if, I, if I may paraphrase the quotation I mentioned earlier, that your religion is what you do in your solitude, here, your religion is what you do in the desert. A life of, of faith is one that looks beyond the sand dunes and sees the paradise to come that God has promised and acts on that. So the example of, of Moses choosing short-term hardship in light of God's promises adds to that of that we've already talked about of Abraham and of Noah. Faith that pleases God is one that puts him first, looks to his promises, acts as though they are true, even though they are unseen. All of those examples, they made decisions that changed their lives based on God's word to them, not considering their circumstances, but setting their minds on things above. And, and let me just show how this passage finishes in the time that we have left. If you go to the, the start of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, 
We've seen the definition of faith, we've seen some examples, and now we see some application. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. We're pointed to our ultimate example, not Noah, not Abraham, not Moses, but our Lord Jesus. We're reminded to consider him, to lift our eyes to him. And th- th- of course, that instruction, that, that command, to look to Him assumes that without careful attention, our focus will drift. Without deliberate effort, uh, we can forget and are very easily distracted. So just for the moments we have left, let's lift our eyes and see the one who paid the highest price to redeem us. He suffered, endured pain, opposition, ridicule, shame, and death for our freedom. The eternal Son of God was sent on a rescue mission to our sinful world, a rescue which which meant He paid the highest price. And we can in no way be deserving of that rescue. You know, we add to the filth and sin of this world, but God loved us in spite of ourselves and gave Himself for us. You know, the sinless, perfect, holy, almighty, all-knowing God was mocked by sinners, beaten, scorned, whipped, crucified for our salvation. The Son of God had no place to lay His head on earth, no home here, so that He can bring us to an eternal home. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And Jesus had no possessions at His death to divide except the clothes he was wearing. And even those were taken from him and divided, leaving him literally naked and penniless without anything to his name in this earth so that we can be adopted into God's families. We can have treasure in heaven so that we can be heirs, co-heirs, and know the unfathomable riches of his glory. He has redeemed us and saved us through the cross, and now he is with us every step of the journey as we make our way towards our inheritance, as we make our way towards our promised land. God is with us through His Spirit, the guarantee, the deposit of our salvation. He is with us through the mess, through the failures. He is always with us, and He promises to bring us home, to complete what has been started. And one day, our joy will be complete. His joy will be complete when we perfected and glorified, are presented as the eternal and perfect bride of Christ, bought with his own blood. And we will be like him because we will see him as he is. Like him, perfect, holy, blameless, all because of his saving and sanctifying work. That is the eternity, the promised land, the heaven that we look forward to. I I, I mentioned a little bit about heaven before. When we think about, do we think about the gifts of heaven? Is it all crowns and golden streets and precious stones? 
But heaven isn't heaven without the giver. Heaven is about Christ. He is at the center. You know, when you're getting married, it's, it's customary to get lots of wedding presents. But what you're looking forward to if you're getting married is not the presents, but your spouse. It's spending time with your spouse, getting to spend the rest of your life with them, getting to know them better, finding joy in them. You don't focus on the towels, on the chopping board, on your wedding list, no matter how nice they are. Uh, they pale in insignificance. Heaven is about Christ. And we have all eternity to worship him, praise him, thank him for what he has done. And we'll be perfectly united with him. And so we are eternal creatures, made for eternity, created by God for eternity. And maybe we look at the, the scene and we see aging bodies and decay, and we think that that's all there is. It's not. We are made for eternity and made for a relationship with God. God has promised us that he will return and take us to be with him. And we should take him on his word and act like it is true. This world is not all that there is. That, that eternal perspective has significance for how we view ourselves and how we see ourselves and our priorities and our choices. Uh, and it should allow us to throw off the weights and the sin that entangle us and that make us weary and faint-hearted. But it's not just about us. One, one final thought is that it's every other person that you see and interact with is also made for an eternal future. You know, either one of spending eternity worshiping God as your brother and sister, or one spending an eternity of horror unthinkable and suffering unimaginable. There are, there are no insignificant people, and there are no insignificant conversations. And Allow me to bring this to conclusion then. In summary, as we look at Hebrews 11, the examples we've picked out this morning, we see a pattern, a theme, that one aspect of faith is looking to the promises of God in the future and acting on them. It is taking God at his word with the unseen. And, and living faith leads to action. Noah built an ark. Abraham left his home without knowing where he was going. Moses chose to be mistreated with God's people rather than have the pleasures and riches of Egypt. And we now look to Christ and the salvation he won for us. We look to our Savior and we look to our eternal future. And we are also called to take action. Like Noah, our priorities and our choices and what we do with our resources may seem crazy to the world. Like, like Abraham, we may live like foreigners because this world isn't our home. Our ultimate citizenship and belonging is somewhere else. And like Moses, we may have to suffer hardship because we are looking to a greater reward to come, something that more than all this world can offer. So as we look to Christ and his salvation and are equipped by his spirit, it means we can live a life of gratitude, a life of thankfulness, a life of responding to God's grace. So let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted.
Thank you for listening to this Castlereagh Fellowship podcast. For more podcasts, Bible teaching videos, and to see what's going on at the church, please visit our website, castlereaghfellowship.com. God bless.